Hello, and again, welcome to BitDepth. I'm Santiago Ramones. Across from me is... Lindsay Cox. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Uh, as I just told you, I use this as an excuse to network with people that I'm interested in, and I've seen your stuff for years, and I'm like, this is a cool person I need to get on my podcast. Aww, so thank, thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so who are you and what do you do? Um, so I'm Lindsay. I am the lead singer and guitarist of Stepmom, and I'm also the box office manager and talent booker for Factory Obscura, which is a collective of artists in Oklahoma City that make immersive art experiences. Yeah. Uh, those are some of the coolest things ever, especially just like the fact that it's happening in Oklahoma City uh, because people don't seem to be aware yet that art is happening here. It's and, happening. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess which of these do you consider to be your biggest thing or is all of it your biggest thing? <laughs> I think all of it. It all consumes my life. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and I'm equally as excited about both aspects. So then let's start with how did you get started in music? Um, so I grew up singing in choir, um, first grade through my freshman year of college at UCO. Mm. And I've always been very intrigued with the the sound of many voices harmonizing. Mm. Um, it's just very magical to me. Um, I'm an alto. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I've always loved singing. I've always loved performing. Um, it makes me super nervous to perform and probably always will, but I really enjoy that adrenaline rush. Uh, was involved in some musicals in my high school. Um, I joined a garage rock band my junior year of high school mm. with some guy friends of mine. Um, it was called Lost and Found. <laughs> Very cool. Very high school band name. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that basically consisted of a lot of Paramore covers. Um, we performed at, you know, the Edmund Arts Festival and, you know, any school festivals that happened, um, the State Fair. So that was kind of my introduction into being in a band setting. Um, and so from there, uh, one of my guy friends, Carson, he ended up joining Lost and Founder senior year. And then in college, he started his own project called Kingfish. And I sang harmony for that group. And then that's where I met my bandmate, John, from the So Help Me's. Um, he was the drummer in that project and we decided to make our own band. Um, and he, um, got some friends of his from the UCO jazz program to be in the So Help Me's. And, um, that was a very fun period of my life that I look back fondly on. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually know both the Johns from UCO. I was, uh, the drum major for the marching band okay. for a little bit. So yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> small world. Yeah, it is a small <laughs> world. Um, so yeah, that was really fun, but like all good things, you know, nothing good lasts forever. So ended up falling apart. And after that project, I sort of didn't know who I was anymore without <laughs> it. Cause I had spent so much of my time very invested in that project. So I took a break from music for a while um, and just tried to figure out what I wanted to do next. And that's how Stepmom was born. And that's what I'm currently doing now. Yeah. What is Stepmom? Why Stepmom? Even just the name, but <laughs> like, uh, yeah, what is it? <laughs> uh, it's just, it's my solo project, basically. Um, I, and it's how I discovered that I am a songwriter. Mm. Um, you know, in the So Help Me's, I was not the main songwriter. I did write um, some of the melodies in the songs, but wasn't really um, my art that was being put out. Mm -hmm. I uh, So yeah, Stepmom is much needed in my life because <laughs> it's my own identity. It's songs from my past and my life 
and it's me, you know, discovering myself as a musician. Yeah. Uh, so now actually why, why the name stepmom? Ah, um, I don't know. A lot of my songs are pretty angsty and what's more angsty than your relationship with your stepmom? <laughs> I, I mean, I have a stepmom and she's super cool and I don't have any angsty feelings towards her, but, um, and when picking the name, I was, you know, super into like husbands and soccer mommy. And so the name just kind of was inspired from those bands. Family name bands. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess who are your main influences in stepmom? And I guess who, I guess, has also been your influences over time, over the years and sort of how that contributed to where yeah. you are now? Um. The White Stripes, Jack White, is one of my main influences. Mm -hmm. I started listening to them in fifth grade. Yeah. And there's just something about his guitar solos that, I mean, they are very spiritual to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, White Stripes for sure. It's just pure rock and roll. Gets me going. Um, more recently, like Neutral Milk Hotel um, has inspired me. Um, Angel Olsen, um, Sufjan Stevens. Is that how you say his name? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who no knows? one really knows. Um, who else? I was listening to it earlier and I was like, I'm detecting some, and maybe this is my bias, but like early death cab. Uh, sure. <laughs> um, I never, I mean, I listened to death cab in high school, but definitely not but like, like a huge death fan. Cab. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> trying to think of who else. I've been influenced by Caroline Rose recently. Um, her more as like an artist more so than the musician, just the way she carries her project and puts it out there. And she's very artistic with her vision. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I try to be intentional about is like the vision behind the music and not so much just the music. Yeah. Cool. Uh, bringing it back a little bit more, uh, your experience, it seems like you've kind of gone through the different worlds or like boxes that is you know choir world and theater world and I guess a little of jazz world if you count that but like and now contemporary rock what has been your experience through all of that and how do they connect to you um yeah just moving through those different phases of my life you always learn new things and um I don't know I pull influences from all of those different aspects of my life. Um, very much like harmonies from choir, mm -hmm. very much, uh, the theatrics of a live performance mm -hmm. from my musical days. And, um, yeah, so they all kind of help create what I do today. Yeah. Um, so then, I guess, when did you first realize that music is what you want to do with your life? Um, so it's always been, you know, a hobby of mine. But when I was in college, I was very much of the mindset, you know, I need to have a grown up job and <laughs> make, you know, money and then I can just keep music as a hobby. But it was actually... The last day of college, and I was writing this paper um, for one of my psychology classes on like my plans for my future. And it was in that moment that I decided I was not going to go to grad school <laughs> and that I was just going to wait tables and pursue music because it's the only thing that really makes me happy. Mm. So, yeah, I was like, wow, I just spent the last four years uh, <laughs> wasting my time doing something that doesn't make me happy because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the the trap of college, isn't it? <laughs> what did you major in? Um, forensic science and psychology. Cool. Why? 
<laughs> uh, it was the only thing that interested me. I kind of bounced around like English major, political science, uh, and then I took a forensic science class at UCO and they have one of the best programs there. Mm -hmm. And one of the former heads of the FBI is like the director and it just entranced me. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. And I'm sort of into, you know, gory things. So mm -hmm. it's like, I, th I think I can stomach this. I think I can handle it. And it was just, I don't know, it was interesting. So it's the only thing that kind of drew me in. Mm -hmm. Isn't it crazy that we just expect that like young people out of high school will know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. Pretty messed up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then uh, factory obscura, how did you get wrapped up in that mess? <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. So taking it back when I was on tour with the so help me's, we played a show in Albuquerque and one of the bands, um, this is 2016, one of the bands we played with, they were like, you have to check out this place called Meow Wolf. Yeah. And this is like early Meow Wolf, House of Eternal Return was not busy at all. And we had no, no clue what it was. So, um, and we were really hesitant to go because the ticket price was a little high and we were poor and, but we went. And it was a life-changing experience for me, just seeing um, just the power of what humans can create through art and just take you into different worlds. And um, it was just a very spirit spiritual experience for me, honestly. Um, and so when I came back home... I somehow discovered that Factory Obscura was a thing and I knew it's something that I needed to be involved with. So I just um, started showing up to their volunteer nights and um, got to know some of the artists and some of the founders there and kind of let them know what my interests were and, you know, that I was into music and all of that. And one of the founders ended up emailing me and saying, Hey, uh, there's this immersive, um, theater, uh, company that is putting on a production inside of our, um, beyond experience. And, uh, would you want to be involved in that? And I was like, yes. So I, you know, submitted my headshot and resume to this company called 19th century hound. Mm -hmm. Ron Burton is the director and kind of went out of my comfort zone because I hadn't been in theater or anything for a very long time. Um, so I ended up uh, being involved in that in that production at Factory Obscura and um, just being in the building so much, got to know the people that work there a little more. And then from that show, I got inspired to create my own immersive performance piece with my bandmate at the time, John, we were still in the So Help Me's and um, we wanted to create an immersive piece based around the Beatles' Abbey Road mm. um, because it was one of our favorite albums by them. So we got with the um, the main writer for Those Who Lie Beyond, which was that um, immersive play, and he helped us create a storyline behind Abbey Road and created this narrative and characters that, that we could, um, create. And so we, through, through being involved with Factory Obscura, I got to know a lot of, um, artists and dancers and all sorts of people. And so I, from that pool, I, um, reached out and said, would you all be interested in being a part of this um, immersive project I'm putting on. And so got, got a crew of musicians and dancers together. And we created this really beautiful piece that we performed at Factory Obscura for their summer solstice performance, um, weekend. I don't even know, was this 20, 2018 mm. probably. Um, so anyway, uh, the founders at Factory kind of got to see what my capabilities were. Yeah. And I was working at Tower Theater at the time. 
And I wanted to be more involved with um, like booking and things like that. So I presented an idea for a music series to the founders called Future of Sound Fest, which um, encourages musicians to collaborate with artists of various mediums to create a unique live show. And they were very interested in that. So we partnered with them, Tower and F Factory Obscura. And so I got to be the lead on that and book artist for that. And eventually um, they offered me a job to um, work for them full time and be box office manager and also do the thing that I love, which is um, talent booking and um, cultivating events and stuff yeah. like that. So, yeah. Yeah. The the advice that people always give of like, oh, how do I get into the music industry? It's like you really do have to like be there and show up. And that's like the best example of that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then day to day stuff, what does working at a immersive art experience look like, <laughs> sound like? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's different day to day. <laughs> Um, so the first two days of my week is my admin time. So I'm answering emails. Um, a lot of people have ticketing questions that I have to reply to. Um, I build tickets for upcoming events. Um, also help with marketing. So we're in marketing meetings and also run the social media. So I'm making, uh, a schedule for all of the future posts for the next week and typing out the copy for that and finding the photos and making sure I'm crediting the right people for the photos. And, uh, currently I am editing music videos for mixtape volume two, and we're releasing those weekly and I'm still in the editing process. So mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of, um, catching up I need to do, but, um, so that's that. And then uh, Thursday through Saturday, I am working at the box office and I'm more customer facing and, um, you know, I'm the first person they see when they walk in. So I give them the rundown on what Factory Obscura is and what they're about to experience. And a lot of people that come in, they're from out of town and they're traveling and they have no clue what they're about to step into. So yeah. it's really fun getting to explain that to them and then see how they kind of transform whenever they come out of the space. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, what we kind of talked about before uh, hitting record is like what jobs in like music and art fields look like and it's like there's something there's always something to do and it's really interesting to see that like yeah there's there's jobs for this you don't have to like you know wait tables all the time and just have music on the side as a hobby right yeah <laughs> There's always things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and people like can help with that too. Also, like Factory Obscura takes a lot of volunteer help as well, right? Um, they more so did in the past. Okay, they are okay. very um, passionate about making sure people get paid for the work that they do. So um, trying to step away from the volunteer model a little bit just to sure. make sure everyone's getting paid for the work yeah. they do. And that's a valuable thing, too, because <laughs> uh, we've all done a lot of gigs that either pay very little or not at all. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so then I guess in the span of everything that you do, uh, what's sort of a deep nitty gritty or like advanced thing that you're super into that like is really nerdy that applies <laughs> to what you do? <laughs> um, probably it's not super advanced or anything, but, uh, just the aspect of creating an immersive environment for your audience. Mm -hmm. So, um, like stage design, um, you know, lighting, um, props is something that I think about a lot. Um, just making sure that the audience is immersed in, in my world um, whenever I'm performing and um, making sure 
that my set is very intentional and that there's transitions. Um, I like to run samples through my guitar pedals and um, mess with the different effects that I get and use that for transitions. Um, just cause I hate, I hate dead space between songs. Oh, yeah. Um, it's my pet peeve. And when you're tuning and, and it's just dead quiet and the audience think, Oh, you know, nothing's happening. So we can like talk amongst, amongst ourselves, but in reality, like the show's still happening. And, yeah. uh, so yeah, just making sure there's no dead space is something that I always strive towards. And yeah, just making sure it's very um, immersive. A show is a show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess more philosophical in this vein of it, but like, why? <laughs> why make art? Yeah. Um, well, it's the only thing that makes me feel completely whole as a person um, and I learned that when I took a break from it during the shutdown and, um, in between bands and I only feel like my whole self when I am performing and writing music and I love connecting with the audience and feeling that energy being passed back and forth. Um, I think that is very spiritual and um yeah when you write a song and you get that high um it just confirms that this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life so yeah yeah <laughs> nothing else like it um and kind of more deeper philosophical questions about music uh is there such a thing as bad music <laughs> I think it's all relative. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can say something is bad because I have a certain taste in music and then someone else might think it's good. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think there is such a thing as bad music. Um, cause it's all relative. Yeah. Just music you like or don't like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there such a thing as selling out? Uh, I don't really think so anymore. I mean, uh, what's, I mean, people are trying to make money from music and I think that's fine if that's what selling out means. Um, <sighs> It's tough. Like, no, no, I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, more power to you if you get on a commercial with your music and you're making money, like that's awesome for you. I think selling out came from like, oh, we want to keep it super punk and like you're giving into the man, you know, but everyone's just trying to survive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and any punk band that you've heard of has already sold out right. because you've heard of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like the point is you want more people to hear your music. Mm. Um, I do have an issue with a band changing their sound to, uh, I don't know, become more mainstream and more popular with the masses and they're not staying true to themselves. Mm -hmm. That's when I think selling out is kind of shitty. Yeah. <laughs> then I guess with that, how can you identify authenticity in music? <laughs> I don't think the person listening to the music can identify as long as the person making the music knows that it's something that truly makes them happy. Like mm -hmm. that's the only way that it's authentic is if it's something that you thoroughly enjoy and yeah, I think there's no way to detect it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then do you separate art from the artist? 
Yes and no. Um, I was having this conversation with my boyfriend um, as far as like Michael Jackson goes, like we're still listening to Thriller during Halloween time and he did some terrible things, but he's also dead and um, you can't really cancel a dead person. I don't know. Uh, it's just in his, in his art spans his whole life and he has music out from when he was a kid. And I don't know, it's just really tough um, to be able to say like, I'm never going to listen to a Michael Jackson song again. Like, I don't think I would wear like a Michael Jackson t-shirt and like <laughs> be like, yeah, Michael Jackson's awesome. But yeah, that documentary that came out, um, makes it hard. It makes it hard. Yeah. It makes it hard. Um, it's tough. Yeah. I think it's all situational. Mm. I think it depends on what the person did. Um, and how severe the action is and um yeah it's all situational yeah yeah <laughs> and and then also just like i feel like the line of like actually morally morally abhorrent more abhorrent <laughs> uh <laughs> things versus like like kanye west is just kind of an asshole yeah which always comes up in this question, but like if someone's an asshole, does that make you not want to listen to their music? Cause like, that's not, it's not like a crime to be an asshole, you know? No, <laughs> I mean, I can enjoy a Kanye West song, but I don't have to support him further than that. I don't have to like buy his merch and promote him in any way. Um, yeah. And some other person might not think he's an asshole and might worship him. So it's very subjective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's something people don't normally know about you? Probably that I have two degrees in forensic science and psychology. <laughs> uh, not many people know that they're surprised by that. Um, but yeah, if I could go back, I would probably get a degree in something a little more useful to me today like marketing or business administration business or whatever or even music so yeah but even like in retrospect i think maybe it's just for myself but like yeah maybe now i would appreciate those things but like i don't know if 18 year old me would have the patience to like get through that <laughs> yeah 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 same <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you find yourself using any of the knowledge from forensic science or psychology in your I mean, things you do now? <laughs> I'm very aware of my surroundings at all time, like just hearing the horror stories and my forensic science classes and all of the mass murders. And I always have, not always, but I typically keep a taser with me. And even on my Uber drive here, I had a taser in my, <laughs> in my uh, fanny pack just in case, cause it's scary being a, a woman in this world. And that's just a, a burden I have to carry with me at all times is that there are, um, violent men in the world and, you know, and women, but, um, I just have to watch my back. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, and then what advice do you have for people that are trying to do what you do? Probably just to start doing it. And um, if you want to be, um, you know, more involved in the music scene, then go out to shows and talk to the bands that you look up to and um, just start being involved in the community and put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. Switching gears and there's no good way to transition, just getting into the deep questions. <laughs> what is the role of spirituality or religion in your life? Um, I'm not a very religious person and 
um, as far as spirituality goes. Music is my main form of spirituality. Um, and, you know, sometimes when I'm doing something mundane, like driving in my car or, I don't know, cleaning my house, I sometimes take a moment and stop and feel this overwhelming sense of gratitude that I am alive and I am able to like perceive the world and I have a consciousness and um, just take a moment to thank whatever entity set into motion the string of events that led me to where I am. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. With the mention of whatever entity, what is your definition of God? Um, I don't really know. I think it is just some, something that can't be comprehended, um, by our feeble human minds. And, um, I think it's, you know, all encompassing and maybe we're all God. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's whatever set into motion, everything that we're experiencing. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. What is free will? Um, well, being able to decide for yourself what, what you want to do, I guess. And I don't know if we have it. <laughs> um, if time is the fourth dimension, I believe that there are entities that can move freely through time. And if that's the case, it's possible. Everything's already laid out and everything has already happened and everything is also happening at the same time. And we just see a sliver of what's out there and we're under the illusion that we have free will but I think I think it's all happening at once it's already happened it's been happening it's all simultaneously happening at the same time like that's what I believe yeah I agree with you <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's also interesting to hear and if you don't agree well that's also interesting. <laughs> um, what do you think happens when we die? I think we're all just energy and our energy disperses elsewhere into the universe and is recycled and um, put into something else. Any other living beings it could be grass, it could be trees, it could be a squirrel. Um, it's just dispersed and... You know, I want to believe that my consciousness will go elsewhere and I'll be able to remember everything that I've experienced. And I would like to believe that I will experience something after. Um, but I don't I, deep down, I don't think that's how it's going to happen. I think it's, that's just it. And you're just recycled into new life. Yeah. And that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> Um, how do you determine what good behavior is? Um, I mean, I have my own moral compass and I think that anything that I wouldn't want someone to do to me, I wouldn't do to them. So anything that, yeah, anything that you don't want someone to do to you, that's, um, pretty, pretty good behavior, but also good and bad are subjective and, um, constructs that aren't really real. So yeah. <laughs> uh, but the golden rule is always a good, good one to bounce back onto. I need to make this a permanent question and put it somewhere else. But, uh, did you grow up with, religion or spirituality did that like how was that instilled in you by your parents and your youth 
Yeah. Um, growing up when I was young, we did go to a Presbyterian church um, pretty regularly, but I didn't really absorb anything from that because I was just too young. And then after my parents got a divorce, we stopped going to church <laughs> and uh, my dad really just told me like, you know, you believe whatever you want to believe. Um, don't let anybody um, put their beliefs on you. And he was always um, pretty atheist and agnostic. And so that's kind of how I how I grew up. And that was definitely not the norm growing up in Edmond, Oklahoma. Um, a lot of my classmates um, heard that I was agnostic and immediately thought I worshiped the devil. So that was fun. Um, it's just a problem of definitions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was definitely the oddball um, growing up. A lot of my classmates were Christian and Republican, and I was the opposite. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> we're all God. That's how we got there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, how do we reduce the division between people? Mm. I think people need to realize that we're all the same. We're all human. We all want the same things. And quit living in your own bubble of um, the media you consume and try to be open to more perspectives. I honestly think we're not going to be more united until fucking aliens come down mm -hmm. and make like shake us and make us realize how insignificant and small we really are. Um, you know, but you, you'd think a global pandemic would do the trick, but that's just caused even more division. So maybe if aliens came down, we would be more, even more divided. So. I mean, they're already here. We, <laughs> we've been seeing the UFOs, the government confirmed it. So it's like, yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think people need to realize the humanity in others. And I think um, social media plays a huge part in the, in, in the division. And um, everyone is just, yeah, living in their own bubble and, and they're seeing what they want to see. They're being fed um, exactly what they want to see. And I think if everyone just stepped away from their computers and phones and got out into nature and talked to their neighbor, maybe, you know, had a, a, a better sense of community, I think that would definitely help. Yeah. <laughs> but that's scary. I know. <laughs> it, it took a lot for me when I, I just, my boyfriend and I just moved recently, um, in the neighborhood behind Aldi on May and 47th street. And, uh, when we moved in, I was like, I need to meet our neighbors because we're, we're noisy musicians and they need to have our number in case we're too loud. So I baked some cookies and I walked around to our surrounding houses and left them little notes and said, Hey, like, <laughs> we're your neighbors and we're also musicians. So let us know, um, if we're too loud. And, and that has, um, helped a lot because I've learned the names of my neighbors and I can say hello to them. And, um, like one morning my car wouldn't start and I did not feel uncomfortable knocking on my neighbor's door and saying, Hey, can you give me a jump? So only good things can come out of being more neighborly. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I need to talk to my neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's hard, like after you move in and you've like been living by your neighbor for so long, it's like, oh, now you're coming over to say hi. Like, that's awkward. So you kind of just kind of <laughs> nip it in the bud, just get it over with. Yeah. But also, I mean, awkwardness is temporary. So just freaking yeah. get over yourself, Santiago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you believe humans are evil by nature? No. Um... 
I think people are shaped by their environment and uh, there's no way a baby could be evil. It's impossible. Um, I do think that there are certain, I don't know, like, I think a lot of mass murders and like serial killers have imbalances in their brain, which can also play a factor. But um, I really think therapy would help with that (laughs) instead of throwing away, you know, people that do bad things. Let's um, put more focus on rehabilitation and therapy. I think everybody should have a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. I always forget who the quote is from, but you don't climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. And why should we go through life without one? Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Yeah. I also don't have a therapist. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think humanity is heading towards in the future? I don't think it's it's good where we're headed. Um, if things don't change quickly, I think global, global warming is a huge issue and maybe not in our lifetime, but, um, the next generation are going to have to really deal with the mess that's been left behind. (sighs) Yeah. It, it makes me really sad thinking of um, where our priorities are as a nation and capitalism is definitely, um, the driving force towards our detriment. So I think we need a huge overhaul and a huge reckoning. Um, and that's not going to be easy to do. Mm. Is there a pragmatic reckoning or like (laughs) (laughs) or you know do we do we got to go full night of the long knives on this oh god (laughs) i mean there's a lot of people that think there's going to be another civil war and i think it's just going to take the old white men and in the government dying out um and new people coming in to really make some change yeah um, there's a lot of politics in there. I don't know if you want to get into that. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, what makes you optimistic about our future? <laughs> Honestly, the old white men in government dying. <laughs> that makes me optimistic. Like, get the fuck out. Um, let's get some more diversity in representation of different groups in power and i really think the younger generations are going to be what what save us um because they are acutely aware of what's going wrong and the old white men in washington just want to hold on for dear life to their power and to the systems that have benefited them And yeah, we have just a huge class divide right now and it's terrifying. And I really hope I'm optimistic that things will change in the future as soon as we get new people in power. Yeah. What makes you content? (laughs) Eating a good meal makes me content. I love me some food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh what is like you know show us plate us a good meal for you (laughs) um recently i've really been into salmon so like a nice grilled salmon with roasted brussels sprouts and broccoli and some jasmine rice and then i make this reduction sauce with soy sauce and brown sugar and teriyaki sauce and garlic and then I pour it over the whole dish and makes makes Lindsay happy yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
uh, you're welcome listeners for that, uh, auditory food porn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> when will you be satisfied? Um, I don't think I'll ever be satisfied. I think if I'm satisfied, then I'm not pushing towards the next thing. Um, so I'm always looking, you know, to do a new project and work on new things and keep pushing myself to be better and better. So, um, I hope I'm never fully satisfied because that means I'm at a stopping point and there's just so many things I want to do. And yeah. What advice do you have for people in general? Um, do what makes you happy. Surround yourself with people that accept you for exactly who you are. Don't be anybody that you're not. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Just if, if you're doing something that doesn't make you happy, don't do it anymore. And, you know, only you can hold yourself back. Don't let anybody else hold you back from your full potential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I want to fill the rest of the time, uh, and there are other questions that I wanted to ask you anyways, um, how does, um, collaboration play a role in your creativity? You mentioned that stepmom's more of like your solo project. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess how does that compare of like solo brain versus collaborative brain? Yeah. Um, well, solo brain is the brain that, you know, writes the music and comes up with the songs. And then the collaborative aspect is I bring the song to the band and we all kind of dissect it together and figure out what parts should stay, what parts should leave. And then my band creates their own parts and really brings the whole thing to life. So it's very much like solo, but also a lot of collaboration. And in other aspects, like music videos and um, things like that, I like to collaborate with other artists. So like recently I did a stop motion music video for Stepmom and um, I got a lot of um, advice from my roommate, Nicole Emmons, who is a professional stop motion animator. And she sort of showed me the ropes and um, that was really helpful. And I knew I wanted hand-drawn animations on top. So I reached out to my friend Jay Shropshire, who works over at Tower Theater. And he collaborated with me and um, added his own art to the project. And yeah, I think way more things are possible with collaboration. Um, Just there's so many people out there with different skill sets that you don't have. And if you come together, you can really create something um, that is truly magical. Yeah. I think something I realized recently is that like, maybe not that recently, but you just can't do everything yourself. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you just need other people to contribute what time they have had honing a skill in another thing to your thing because there's yeah there's only so much we can do by ourselves (laughs) yeah I have to keep telling myself that because I have an issue with delegating things I'm like okay if I want this to happen I'm just going to do it myself because I have a deadline and, you know, I don't want to be pressuring someone to deliver. Um, so I'll just do it myself. You know what I mean? Like graphic design, like I need a poster done. I'll just, I'll figure it out. Like I'll make a poster. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do it. Cause I don't want to 
I don't know, I just have a problem delegating things. And I think I need to learn how to do that more effectively. Right. Well, it's even on those things, it's like whenever you try to do something yourself, you're also kind of like learning how to do the thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it took me five hours to figure out how to do a freaking design. It took an actual graphic designer like 20 minutes because mm -hmm. that's just skills that right. they have that I don't. Right. <laughs> yeah. So then I guess more of the creative process, like... Do you feel like whenever you make something that it is like always just yours or I guess how do you let other people in is another part of that question, I guess. <laughs> um, I think creating the space, f the room for additions to be made. Um. So yeah, I invite my bandmates to be creative and um, if they have any input at all, like definitely listen to it. And we did um, collaboratively write a song together for um, Factory Obscure's Mixtape Volume 1. And we um, sat in the melancholy room in factory obscura and wrote a song based on melancholy and yeah we fully collaborated from beginning to end on that one and that was really fun it just takes a lot of time um to be together and um it takes me a really long time to write a song so well some some songs more than others but i think just with everybody's schedules being so crazy, it's easier for me to have that creative time myself and then present something. And then we go from there. Um, it's hard for me to, to write with other people when we have nothing to go off of. Luckily with that factory obscure project, we had, you know, a topic, which was melancholy and, um, the room to go off of. Um, so that was a little easier, but, um, yeah, I like to present something that's somewhat finished um, and then see what happens next. Yeah. And I guess going off of the uh, more of the spirit of creation, how do you uh, shake things up? Do you have methods for writing or do you just like hunker down and like this needs to be a song? And so I just do it. <laughs> I think a little bit of both like sometimes I will just sit and I'm like okay I need to come up with a song like okay what's happened to me the last few months that I could write about just brainstorm um but typically I will it'll just hit me like I'll be in the car um where I'll be at work and I'll just be humming a melody that's typically how it starts and I will record that in my voice memos and then I will refer back to it when I'm alone in my um, my my music room. And um, after the melody comes the chords on the guitar. And then I add the lyrics last, typically. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, sometimes it just comes in a flash. Sometimes it takes a long time to pull out of me. I don't consider myself a very strong songwriter. I, I feel like I, I can write good melodies for the most part. So I'm trying to um, be better about writing lyrics. And so I'm taking a songwriting class with one of my idols um, in November. I guess it's November now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it starts November 7th, but Ellen Kempner the lead singer and guitarist from Pale Hound, which is, I forgot to mention, is one of my biggest influences. Mm -hmm. uh, she's doing an online songwriting class and it's going to be six classes, each an hour and 15 minutes long. And sometimes when I write music, I go and reference her lyrics just because I really like how she um, composes them. And hoping to learn a lot from that class and be a better musician. Um, so you find it harder to 
put music to lyrics than the other way around. Yes. Yeah. Definitely write the music first and then add the lyrics on top. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually like the other way around for some reason, the words come to me first, but um, it is just interesting seeing the different approaches to creativity. I guess what are your favorite tools to use uh tools more in the sense of just like oh i always play the melody out on guitar or i always prefer singing it first or whatever that might be <laughs> yeah i definitely coming from the choir world sing the melody first and then i find the chords that i need on the guitar by ear um i don't i don't know much theory um i mean i know you know, the chord names and stuff like that, but um, I just have to find it by ear. And then I play around with it and try to come up with a chorus. And um, yeah, so it, it's it's always me just singing and then um, finding what complements that best on guitar. Mm -hmm. When is the song done? <laughs> hmm. Um. Honestly, a lot of my songs are always evolving, so never. Uh, yeah, like there's songs that I've released on my album that I can't stand to listen to anymore because my tastes have changed and um, I wish that I had done something different on them. So um, I always take the opportunity to reconstruct songs and in the live setting and um, play them a little differently because things get boring and you want to mix things up. And when you're playing the same set over and over, like it's not fun anymore. So always try to mix it up and add new elements. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's, there's some songs that I've been playing like liter literally since high school and I straight up just check out whenever I play it. <laughs> I, you zone out for yeah. sure. <laughs> and anytime I get that feeling when I'm playing live that I'm zoning out, I'm like, okay, I can't, I either should not be playing this song anymore or I need to change it. Mm. It's like a signal to me that something needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> or you've just been rehearsing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question, potentially most importantly Cake or pie? Definitely cake. <laughs> um, she was ready for it. Yeah, cake for sure. Um, my boyfriend's mom makes this amazing cake. It's like a like a wedding cake with fresh like strawberry icing, and I could eat that every day. <laughs> it's so good. Just to be pedantic here what makes like a normal cake different from a wedding cake or the other way around yeah what makes a wedding cake different i don't know i think the wedding cake it's traditionally like a vanilla almond type situation a very light um so yeah i think i think that's just what they call it i don't know right <laughs> uh we definitely did not the uh, our wedding cake was an ice cream cake so anything could be a wedding cake yeah yeah <laughs> it's just like ridiculous to get like the huge thing that no one ever actually eats anyways it's, nah. i mean it's all for the bride and groom anyway you just put it in your freezer for eternity and isn't that a thing you like take the topper and you put it in your freezer and you like get it out on your like anniversary or something yeah i mean we don't do that we, uh, we don't actually know where the cake ended up <laughs> oh no yeah that's depressing eh. i would know like if i had a wedding cake i know exactly where that baby's going <laughs> and i would follow it and i would make sure it's coming home with me i'm very serious about food yeah well <laughs> if you've if you've ever planned a wedding uh <laughs> there's a lot of things going on in your mind and for me it wasn't the cake <laughs> <laughs> Just lots of other things. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. 
<laughs> Lindsay, thank you so much for doing this with me. This is great. Thank you, Santiago. Where can we find you and your things? Uh, okay, so you can follow my band Stepmom on Instagram. It's at stepmomband. And our website is www.stepmomband.com. Um, yeah, we're on Spotify. We're on all streaming platforms. And come by Factory Obscura t- sometime and say hi to me. I'm always yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, and like go to Factory Obscura stuff. Yes. That stuff's cool. Yeah. <laughs> come on out. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Santiago Ramones. And I'm Lindsay Cox. And now here's Damage Control by Stepmom. Find everything that I do on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. I make music and produce audio. The music you're hearing now is music I make. You can listen to official releases by Santiago Ramones on Spotify, Apple Music, and the other streaming places. Or you can buy it on Bandcamp because a single purchase is the monetary equivalent of streaming it all day, every day, for about a week. I'm working on an album, so if you'd like to hear that at some point, you can buy my music, or you can support me on Patreon. There's a Discord server in which we discuss deep topics from the podcast, but it's also a community of beautiful human beings. All the links to all my things are on my website, SantiagoRamones.com. If you like the podcast, leave comments on social media, leave reviews saying how much you like the podcast, and tell your friends about it. I want to help the world have deeper conversations. So thank you for listening to and supporting BitDepth. Normally, I've been putting just like the outro of the thing of the, like all the things that I promote myself at the end. 
And at the end of it, I have my three things. And for years, I've been doing this podcast and I would actually just say it out loud at the end. And I haven't in a while. And I feel like I've disconnected from my three things. And so I'm going to start saying my three things out loud in the recording so that it's not just like the re-recorded thing <laughs> that I put in. So I was in the podcast with my three things. They shape my life philosophy. Those three things are love never fails. It's going to be okay. I might be wrong.